0: The ACBE Forum, Volume 62, December 2023, Number 6. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Nancy Gahagan and Bart Morse in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 518-906-1820 and choose Option 8. Tune into ACB Media at www.acbmedia.org or by calling 518-906-1820. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at ACBNational or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash ACBNATIONAL. Copyright 2023, American Council of the Blind. Dan Spoon, Interim Executive Director, Sharon Lovering, Editor. 225 Reinekers Lane, Suite 660, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. Table of Contents President's Message The Ups and Downs of Holiday Traditions by Deb Cook-Lewis Snapshots from Jacksonville by Janet Dickelman the winners of the 2023 Audio Description Awards are by Tabitha Kenlon. Defining DEIA by Regina Marie Brink. An Unexpected Journey by Maria Kristich. English Language Teacher Privileged to Work with Students from Across the Globe by Audrey Shading. My Brother's Gift by Rodney Stanford. Bermuda by Tony Ames. The Gift of Community by Cindy Hollis. Seven Ways We Can Get Paid in a Volunteer Organization by Amanda Selm. Braille Matters by Denise Colley. Texas Puts the Fun in Fundraising by Jan Gray. Affiliate News. Passings. Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins. High Tech Swap Shop. Upcoming Forum Themes and Deadlines. February 2024, Election Year and Voting, Black History Month, and Civil Rights. Deadline, December 22, 2023. March 2024, ACB Women with International Women's History Month. Deadline, January 26, 2024. April 2024, Multicultural Affairs Committee. Deadline, February 23, 2024. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666 or via email. S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G at acb.org. Give her the information and she'll make the changes for you. President's Message The Ups and Downs of Holiday Traditions by Deb Cook-Lewis My family never had many holiday traditions when I was growing up. In fact, the holidays were always a little stressful for various reasons. But as an adult, I had a housemate whose family was steeped in holiday traditions of every kind, and she brought those when she relocated to Seattle to become my housemate. Since I really had no holiday traditions, I was willing to take on some of hers. That's when I learned a great lesson about how some traditions are important to continue at any cost and others might need to be modified or even left behind as times and needs change. The one I remember so vividly that just didn't work for us was the live Christmas tree. That sounded so romantic and hallmark, if you know what I mean. But in reality, it was a disaster for us. Our animals knocked it over from every angle they could. I can't begin to tell you how many needles a live tree has, but our carpet disappeared soon. And then, there is the discussion of string lights, which is also tied to the discussion of the animals. So we ultimately decided that if one of our fathers was able to help manage the tree, we could be all in. But otherwise, maybe not so much. On the other hand, there were fabulous traditions related to food and holiday music, which I continue to this day. These hold important memories for me and although they've been modified over time, they are very much part of the holiday time for me, despite the changes that have occurred throughout the years. Here at ACB, we're also establishing some holiday traditions that are becoming important to many of our members. My ACB holiday actually begins with the Audio Description Awards Gala in November, continues to Friendsgiving, the holiday auction, the community a and various events on ACB Media. And beyond the holidays, ACB is exploring its traditions and processes through the work of the Voting Task Force. This committee, which needs a new name, I think, is asking members some pretty challenging questions about our business and governance traditions. Just as we treasure, modify, or move on from certain traditions and practices in our holidays, we will be making similar decisions that will impact the future of ACB. It's a good time for all of us to pause and reflect on what matters most and those things that have outlived themselves or just need a facelift to fit the times and circumstances. Regardless of where it all comes out, I truly wish the best for all of our members and friends through the holidays and into the coming year. Snapshots from Jacksonville by Janet Dickelman. The Convention Committee and some ACB board members, officers, and staff have just returned from our fall visit to Jacksonville. The Hyatt staff was extremely pleasant and helpful. All sleeping rooms have coffee makers, not Kehrig, refrigerators and safes. There is a 24-hour laundry room on the fourth floor of the hotel. The Hyatt also features an exercise room, open 24 hours, and an outdoor swimming pool. The hotel and adjoining convention center, where the exhibit hall, general sessions, and some of our meetings will be held, are both easy to navigate. In addition to the hotel restaurants mentioned in my November article, there are several restaurants within walking distance of the Hyatt. For anyone with a guide dog, there are a number of relief areas. Additionally, there is a large grassy area less than half a block from the hotel, with no streets to cross, and easy for even Chrissy and I to find. While in Jacksonville, we visited many outstanding tour venues. Stay tuned for the tour reveal in the January issue. May you have the best holiday ever! Whether it's Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or another celebration. Wishing you a season of joy, love, good food, and time with friends and family. Staying in touch. The conference and convention announce list will be filled with information. To subscribe to the list, send a blank email to acbconvention plus sign subscribe at acblists.org. ACBCONVENTION plus sign, SUBSCRIBE, at acblists.org. If you received updates for the 2023 convention, you do not need to resubscribe to the list. Hotel Details Room rates at the Hyatt are $99 per night plus tax. Reservation information will be posted when it becomes available. For any convention related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman, Convention Chair, 651 428 5059 or via email janet.dickelman at gmail.com. Janet.dickelman at gmail.com. The winners of the 2023 Audio Description Awards are by Tabitha Kenlin. The third annual Audio Description Awards Gala was held on November 14. Created in 2021 to recognize achievement in audio description in entertainment and educational media, this year's awards gala featured celebrity guests, film clips, and more than a dozen awards. Hosts Lee Talkington and Conchita Hernandez-Legareta welcomed guests from the arts, entertainment, and sports worlds to celebrate accessible films, series, books, and video games. Awards were presented to Jim Stovall, AD Visionary. Netflix, AD Game Changer, Innovation. Naughty Dog, Sony, AD Game Changer, Gaming. Imagination Storybooks, AD Game Changer, Education. Hallmark Media, AD Game Changer, Popular Entertainment. Paramount, AD Game Changer, 100% Access. Warner Brothers Discovery, Outstanding Achievement, Live Events. Semillitas, Outstanding Achievement, Spanish Media, USA. BBC iPlayer, Outstanding Achievement, International Media. Wednesday, Netflix slash IDC, People's Choice Award Series. Everything Everywhere All at Once, A24 slash Deluxe US. People's Choice Award, Film. Sponsors of the awards gala include Amazon, Microsoft, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Fox Corporation, Paramount, Spectrum, ViTech, and the National Association of Broadcasters. Supporters of the audio description project include Sony Corporation of America and the Walt Disney Company. The awards gala was broadcast with captions and audio description and a simultaneous Spanish translation. The English AD was written by Joel Snyder, Audio Description Associates LLC, and voiced by Ren Leach. The Spanish AD and Spanish dubbing was created by DeCaptas team. The AD scriptwriter was Andrea Jimenez, with narration by Oscar Javier Cuesta. Captions were provided by Vitech. If you missed the original broadcast, you can still access it on multiple platforms: ACB Media, ACB's YouTube channel, Peacock. Courtesy NBC Universal. Subscription required through December 31, 2023. Visit adaawardsgala.org for more information. You can also make a donation there to support ACB's audio description project and help us keep advocating for more and better audio description.
1: Defining DEIA by Regina Marie Brink Discussions about DEIA are occurring all over our country right now. Some comments are positive, ambivalent, negative, or outright abhorrent. I believe part of the problem is that we all don't agree on what it is. I am offering my opinion here as a starting point. Once, my kids went fishing and brought home fresh fish for the first time. I seasoned it up and fixed it for dinner, and they all claimed they loved it. Several days later, there was a bad smell in my house. I looked and cleaned. I invited my friend over to see if she could help. We couldn't figure it out until I lifted one of the dining room chair cushions, and there was the smelly fish the children had really hated. This is what I believe happens to problems we refuse to discuss. DEIA stands for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility. I will examine each word in the acronym. Perhaps we can find places where we can agree. Diversity is an opportunity. It provides an atmosphere where many voices are heard. Homogeneous spaces mean that we simply will not hear people who are different from us. It might feel good if everyone is alike and believes, looks, talks basically the same, etc. However, if difference is considered strange and alien, how long until we are the one who is different? Diverse voices mean new ideas and ways to do something, and that can truly produce better outcomes. Those of us who have been employed as blind or low-vision workers can attest to the value of diversity in this sense. It holds true for racial, ethnic, religious, and gender identity as well. Equity is the golden rule. When we treat other people the way we would like to be treated, life is so much better, whether it's at work, school, a service organization, or a recreational activity. Someone's appearance or who they love Or their different abilities, ought not cause them to be treated in a way that we would not like to be treated. We can tell ourselves they deserve it for some reason. However, it's not about that. Equity means we are true to ourselves and do not spread negativity or hatred through action or inaction. Inclusion means all are recognized. No one likes to feel overlooked, invisible, unimportant, or irrelevant. People deliver their best when they are acknowledged, included, and valued. Lastly, accessibility means we can all be on the same page. If some of us can read the page and some cannot even open the book, we cannot achieve a truly functional society. When we build accessibility at the beginning, everyone benefits. In a follow-up to this article, I'd like to examine some ways to make sure these things happen within and outside of ACB. For now, let me know what you think. I welcome all voices, even those who disagree with mine. My email is reginamariemusic@gmail.com. at gmail.com, R-E-G-I-N-A-M-A-R-I-E-M-U-S-I-C, at gmail.com gmail.com An Unexpected Journey by Maria Kristic Where are the weapons little girl the soldier asked me We were at a Serb controlled checkpoint on our way out of Bosnia in late 1993 I had been born 3 months premature nearly 5 years prior and had been diagnosed after many doctor visits with my parents as being in the final stage of retinopathy of prematurity, resulting in total blindness. My parents and I had previously traveled to Boston four times since for unsuccessful surgeries and their required follow-ups, but that had stopped two years prior in 1991 after war had broken out. Now we were finally able to visit my ophthalmologist again, this time with my nearly seven-year-old brother also traveling with us. First, however, we had to be able to get out of the country, whether that meant crossing areas where snipers were waiting in the hills to fire upon oncoming vehicles, or navigating checkpoints such as these, where my father's service for a Croat military unit, as that was our ethnicity, raised suspicions, and where my brothers answered to the question of, do you have guns, answered with the innocence of a child as in the back, as he thought the question referred to toy guns, could be the difference between life and death in a climate of war in which our shared humanity is all too often forgotten. While I do have scattered childhood memories from this time, such as climbing the ladder down to crowd into our underground basement each night in case a bomb should hit our house, I do not remember how or if I answered the question when the soldier turned to me. I do remember the soldier's threats, my father being taken away to be interrogated, and needing to empty the contents of our luggage onto the street. Fortunately, a friend who had connections on both sides had offered to travel with us to the border in case we experienced trouble. He was able to negotiate our release from that checkpoint, and we pressed on. In Serbia, it turned out that one of the high-ranking military officials we encountered had been my father's college professor, and he provided a letter which guaranteed us safe passage on medical grounds. Fortunately, some still do the right thing, even in war. My mother has shared with me the indescribable sense of relief she felt in that moment. Permission in hand, we were able to cross Serbia, travel to Budapest, Hungary, on to Zagreb, Croatia, and from there on to a flight to New York. Despite our harrowing journey out, life had still been relatively good for my family in our hometown, located about 10 miles from Sarajevo, and we boarded that flight with return tickets in hand. However, as we were preparing to return, The acquaintance with whom we were staying made a suggestion which would alter the course of our lives. She suggested my parents consider the country to which they would be returning, the lack of resources for those who are blind, especially during wartime, the kind of life I would be able to lead. Realizing that she was right, my parents made the difficult decision to leave behind all they had known and build a new life in the United States. We didn't speak English. We didn't know anyone. We hardly had any money, not having planned to stay long-term. We were not classified as refugees, so we would be on our own. Through connections at the Croatian church, we ended up spending our first six grueling months at a mansion in upstate New York where my father managed the grounds and my mother managed the house. They received no pay. We were not allowed to meet other people or to have visitors. My father was required to work 18 hours a day. We had two hours of free time per week. We had to speak in whispers. I can still remember the rotary phone ringing for my parents to be warned that I should not be jumping around and making too much noise. The owners of the estate attempted to emotionally blackmail my parents by telling them that the only way I would be educated would be for them to hire a teacher for the blind to come from New York City. In short, our start was extraordinarily difficult. Through my brother initially requiring an interpreter after starting school, we thankfully met some Croatian-speaking individuals in the community who gave us a car, found us a nearby house which was in need of much work to make it habitable and on which my father secretly worked at night, and finally helped us to literally escape to said house one day when the owners were away on business. When we arrived I remember my brother and I screaming we are free! I remember the trucks full of trash which these kind souls and their friends helped us remove from the property. Yet it was paradise, because we could begin to determine our own destiny. One of these individuals continues to be an especially close family friend today. Because of them and others whom we met along the way, my parents, who were not able to work in their prior fields due to the language barrier, started with intermittent work, but eventually gained stable employment, painting and cleaning at a local college from which they retired in 2019. Several years after moving into the house, when a bank informed us that the house was being foreclosed because the owner had not been paying the mortgage, even though this owner had been charging us rent, that bank, recognizing the amount of work my parents had put into the property and wanting to close the account, offered the house to my parents for a third of its value. It would have seemed unthinkable when we first arrived. But in 1997, my parents became homeowners in this country, and today the house is worth nearly five times its 1997 value and unrecognizable from how it looked then because of all the hard work my parents had put into it. My own journey amid this background would not have been successful without my family's strength and the support of many in the face of discouragement. I was the first blind student in my school district. Thankfully, although administrators generally did not know what to do with me, my teacher of the visually impaired was low vision and could thus serve as a role model. Because of her, I was blessed to have learned Braille, some independent living skills, and to have gotten initial exposure to guide dogs. When district administrators decided that I did not need to learn how to type on a computer keyboard, my braillist took it upon herself to teach me. When I struggled with American cultural references and with English spelling, these women gave me support. I still keep in touch with them today. When the school district refused to purchase up-to-date assistive technology for me, my parents were able to arrange loans through their jobs to make the purchases. I still remember the first time I used the internet independently, on a note-taker in 2003 at the age of 14, using a dial-up connection, followed in 2005 by teaching myself to use Windows and a screen reader on a broadband connection. When administrators and vocational rehabilitation counselors doubted my ability to take advanced placement STEM classes, teachers stepped in to make sure I had a chance such as my physics teacher, who drew circuit diagrams on paper using a screwdriver. Disability services staff and many supportive professors were instrumental in my schooling, and it was because of one of these professors that I obtained my current job. My immigration status receded into the background of my experience as time went on. My blindness assumed a more central role as I went on to college and graduate school earning my JD, MBA, completing internships, gaining employment in my current role in the municipal bond industry, and participating in various volunteer roles. Still, the fact that I am an immigrant has been ever-present. Only in 2009, after outreach to the White House in an attempt to speed up the processing of our case, did we become U.S. citizens, 16 years after arriving. I have gone back to visit family in both Bosnia and Croatia several times since 1993. I am proud to have grown up with two cultures, especially now as I see my niece understanding Croatian. November 2023 marks 30 years since my family and I stepped foot in America. It has been an unexpected journey, but one which has taught me the importance of family, the value of a support network and the gift of inner strength. Through the highs and lows, it has been a journey for which I have been grateful. English Language Teacher Privileged to Work with Students from Across the Globe by Audrey Shading. As a teacher of English as a foreign language, for over 30 years to blind and visually impaired adults, I'm extremely privileged to have the opportunity to work with students from all over the world. Chujang Mun, she prefers to be called Maple, is a student and friend whom I continue to have the pleasure of working with as she prepares to return to college. In 2009, Maple and her mother came to New York City from China in order for Maple to continue pursuing her college career in public relations and counseling. During her first year at Pace University she worked exceptionally hard in order to maintain a much appreciated scholarship. She studied for a year and a half, became a self-made online entrepreneur selling goods to China, all while dealing with necessary brain surgery. In December 2010 Maple lost vision after her surgery due to an optic nerve injury. She's still not quite sure how but her story was picked up in China and was publicized on TV, radio, and in the newspapers. She received many letters of support, including one from a member of a Chinese-speaking church near her home. She and her mom responded to the outreach and were happy and grateful to receive a warm welcome there. Soon after that, Maple's eye doctor referred her to the Lighthouse Guild, where she received mobility, ADL, Braille, keyboarding and ESL services. I remember how much fun we had in the beginning with specific spelling and pronunciation challenges, all of which we worked out using recordings, the Braille alphabet, and JAWS. She quickly learned all four skill areas of English as she simultaneously progressed in learning all of these necessary skills. Currently, Maple is working with electronic Braille and learning Spanish. As a counselor, she feels it will be best to know Spanish as well as Chinese in order to communicate with more people. Knowing Braille in all three of these languages will also be a strong asset. Maple is grateful for the support of both her church community and the blindness community which have been with her every step of the way. She wants to use her knowledge with her career in order to give back to both of these loving communities. One dream Maple had was to become a U.S. citizen. She proudly recently fulfilled this dream, which took much hard work and determination. She and fellow classmates helped prepare and then study from Brailled Citizenship question-answer flashcards. This was a great addition to the Brailled Citizenship booklet, which took much time to read and understand. Though audio supplements were used, Maple relied heavily on her braille reading as it helped her with spelling and pronouncing all of the challenging words and phrases. Maple currently plans to resume college class in September, 2024. All the best to you, dear Maple. My Brother's Gift by Rodney Stanford, reprinted with permission from Insight Fall, 2022. In the fall of 1970, in the rural Alabama town of Elkmont, my very pregnant mother was lying on our couch waiting for my father to get me dressed so he could take me to my grandparents' house and her to the hospital in Athens some ten miles away. My just barely two-year-old mind had grasped a vague concept that I was about to become a big brother— but that is about all I understood as I strode confidently up to comfort my mother. The words that would come out of my mouth that day would become a part of family lore for decades to come. Just lay there and rest, Mama. Me and Daddy will go pick up little sister. Was a mouthful for a boy little more than a baby himself. My baby sister was to be named Molly after my mother's great-grandmother, But the boy who made his appearance later that day didn't look like a molly. So instead, Bradley Aaron Stanford joined our little family that day. He grew up to go by just Brad. And he grew up to be my best friend. We shared the same hereditary vision problem. Many of you already know that I had very poor eyesight even before the stroke I suffered in 2016 took the best of what little I had. We shared a childhood of moving around a lot and not having very much in terms of money. And we shared the tragic premature loss of both our parents, Mama in 1995 to cancer and Daddy in 2004 to heart disease related to diabetes. I lost Brad, too, in April 2022. At the age of 51, he had a massive cardiac event, and died in his sleep at his home in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I wanted to share this story specifically because of what happened after Brad passed. Brad and his wife Kim were organ donors. Brad had been able, using some nifty modern technology, to get a license to drive in Tennessee, and had signed the back of his license to donate whatever could be used to help someone else so they transported his body to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, harvested organs, and then transported him back to Chattanooga, where he was cremated. We're going to dispose of his ashes in accordance with his wishes. Kim held a beautiful celebration of his life in Chattanooga and another in Alabama for our family there. Just before the memorial event in Chattanooga, and just about two months after Brad's untimely death, Kim received a letter from the Tennessee Organ Donor Program. It was mostly a form letter with a boilerplate message of thanks, but there was something very special at the end. The letter pointed out that it could sometimes take a while, even years, for all the harvested tissue to be used. But they wanted Kim to know specifically that the cornea from Brad's left eye had already been used to restore sight to a patient in our home state of Alabama. And furthermore, the cornea from Brad's right eye had been used as well to restore the sight of a different patient also in Alabama. Brad was a huge man, mostly muscle. He was a competitive weightlifter. He was a multiple-time state champion in both Alabama and Tennessee. He dabbled in professional wrestling, played semi-pro football, and competed in strongman contests like on ESPN where they pull trucks and such. In fact, before I ever set foot in New York, Brad went to White Plains and competed in the National Deadlift Championship where I think he finished third with a top lift of 650 pounds. The thing that was so interesting to me that made such an impression was how the seeming weakest part of Brad's body, his eyes, was the part that became such a blessing to someone in need. Bermuda by Tony Ames In November 1992, my late husband Ed and I traveled to Bermuda to participate in the World Congress of Obedience. The topics we chose were blind handlers in the obedience ring, the assistance dog movement in the United States, and grief at the loss of a guide dog through retirement or death. Knowing Bermuda is a British colony, we were intrigued to learn there were no quarantine restrictions preventing us from entering the country with our golden guide dogs. Bermuda, a rabies-free country, requires documentation of rabies and parvo inoculations and proof that a flea and tick bath has been given to the dog within 10 days of entry. As Bermudans quip, We don't want American ticks and fleas, but you are welcome to leave with ours. Having contacted the Bermuda Lions prior to the trip, we were delighted to accept the offer to speak to their club the Lions assisted us by providing escorts to tourist attractions and to and from the dog show grounds. Our first five mornings in Bermuda were taken up with dog shows. Afternoons were set aside for sightseeing and socializing. Accompanied by members of the Lions and Lioness Clubs, we explored a living cave, strolled on the beach, took a ferry ride to a craft fair, toured a perfumery, and enjoyed the ocean breezes and narration on a glass-bottom boat trip to the nearby Coral Reef. We were taken to historic St. George's, the site of the 1609 settlement of Bermuda. Of course, our then-guide dogs, Ivy and Kirby, were an integral part of these excursions. Despite the lack of laws guaranteeing assistance dog access, our Goldens were welcome everywhere we went. Prior to the trip, the Lions introduced us to Jean House, the only guide dog partner in Bermuda. When invited to her home for lunch, we gratefully accepted. Although a ride could have been arranged, on this occasion we preferred taking public transportation. Jean was excited by the thought of three guide dogs on the bus, a historic event in Bermuda. Whether on the street or in the bus, everyone seemed to know and greet Jean and her yellow Labrador, Mandy. We saw Jean several times during our stay. She was a co-speaker at the Lioness Club dinner held at the Dingy Club. We hold the Lions and Lioness Clubs in high esteem for the work they do on behalf of blind people. One of their projects is providing support for all the guide dog programs in the United States scheduled to depart from Bermuda on a 7 a.m. flight, necessitated waking up by 4.30. Responding to our fear that the clock radio in our hotel room might not go off as planned, the Dog Training Club members came to our rescue by purchasing an old-fashioned alarm clock to replace the one we forgot to bring. Everything went off without a hitch, and we arrived home in Fresno, California later that day Exhausted, but exhilarated. The Gift of Community by Cindy Hollis. As we reflect on the past few years, it's clear that the world has been through unprecedented challenges. When the pandemic hit in early 2020, people all over the world found themselves grappling with isolation and the loss of their usual social outlets. Our ACB membership and the blind community as a whole was no different. Yet out of these challenging circumstances, the ACB community was born, emerging out of necessity, growing stronger over time, and continuing to make a difference in the lives of many. During a time when it was difficult, if not impossible, to meet in person, the virtual doors of community were opened for anyone who wished to enter regardless of membership or affiliation. The ACB community quickly became a lifeline for many, a vibrant and dynamic hub of diverse activities and events, helping people connect, share, and grow. Since we began in March 2020, our ACB community has achieved remarkable milestones, including hosting over 15,000 events held on Zoom, Clubhouse, and streamed on ACB media. Hosts, moderators, streamers, and facilitators are all members of the community who are blind or low vision, ensuring that the environment remains safe, respectful, and welcoming for all. The ACB community has been fearless in trying new things, experimenting with a wide range of activities and support systems. From recipe swaps and cooking presentations to exercise classes, technology discussions to peer support groups, crafting classes to learning languages, assistance with Braille and low vision aids, and even games to music, we've delved into a multitude of areas. One of the most heartwarming traditions that have emerged from this community is the annual Friendsgiving event held each Thanksgiving day providing a place for members of the ACB community to gather and ensuring nobody feels alone during this important holiday. And once again, we are gearing up for our annual Christmas tree lighting on Christmas Eve. This event is not just about decorating a tree with our virtual ornaments, but a symbol of unity and hope during the holiday season. One highlight of this event is the tradition of choosing a member to place the star on the tree. This act is symbolic of the inclusivity and togetherness that the community embodies. As we approach the end of 2023 and look ahead to 2024, a much-anticipated tradition is the community athon a celebration which honors the dedicated volunteers and community members who work tirelessly to make a difference in the lives of many. It's 12 hours of showcasing our events, entertainment, prizes, and a fundraising effort to support our beloved ACB community platform. However, the ACB community isn't just about activities. It's about building relationships and fostering a sense of belonging. For instance, we've held a few episodes of the Not-So-Newlywed Game, where some of our ACB couples landed themselves in the hot seat for fun and lots of laughter. And our one-time virtual couples connection, our version of the old TV show, The Dating Game, brought together one couple who will be married at the end of 2023. Beyond the events themselves, we have brought together people of all ages and from all corners of the world to support and empower one another. Our ACB community serves as a support system for its members. It's a place where individuals advocate for one another, Learn together, laugh, and cheer each other on. In the midst of a challenging and uncertain world, this community provides a sense of belonging and hope. If you've yet to find your way to this amazing ACB community, know that there is always room at the table for you. The ACB community offers a daily schedule of events you can access either through a daily email or by calling one 800 424-8666, 424 8666, extension 1024. If you're interested in becoming a host or facilitating your own event, or if you'd like to sign up to receive the daily schedule, don't hesitate to reach out to communityacb.org. We are always looking to welcome new members to our ACB community and expand our vibrant and supportive family. That's a word coined within our community, embodying That's a word coined within our community, embodying friends and family. Maybe the ACB community was born out of necessity during a time in our history none of us could have ever imagined a pandemic. But it has grown into a global family that brings hope, connection, and support to so many. Community reminds us that we never have to be alone. Community exists because of each of us who gives in our own way. The holiday season is a time to reflect on the things which matter most in our lives. For each who read this, we hope you have or will experience the gift of community. Seven Ways We Can Get Paid in a Volunteer Organization by Amanda Selm People often ask me, is it really worth your time? Why are you putting so much energy into something when you don't get paid for it? Over the past nine years, I have experienced life in a volunteer organization on both ends of the spectrum, the positive and the negative. What exactly have I learned in these past nine years? We are all human beings, with feelings and emotions, investing blood, sweat, and tears into something we love. If we are putting these long hours into something we love, Can we get paid for it? The answer is, yes, we can, and here is how that works. In a normal job setting, we have positive incentives such as raises, employee of the month contests, advancement opportunities, and in some cases, employee spotlights. In a typical job setting, we work with others on projects, report to a team leader, and problem-solve. What is the difference between our normal and or typical job and a volunteer organization? We get paid for the 40 hours of work. Is it possible that we can get paid in a volunteer organization for the, in some cases, almost 40 hours per week we put in for our state and special interest affiliates, local chapters, and ACB committees? The answer is yes, we can. However. It is a different kind of payment system, one that is good for the mind, body, and spirit, and one that can truly affect our mental health and well-being. The first way we can pay each other for our hard work is through compliments. It is my firm belief that a compliment can change a person's mood, and it can give a person the self-esteem needed to just fight even the smallest battles. A compliment given correctly using a person's strongest trait is like a shot of espresso or B12. It gives you the energy to keep going. I'm speaking from personal experience, both on the receiving side and the giving side. Compliments are truly impactful and have lasting effects. In a recent ACB Next Generation board meeting, we completed an exercise in building each other up by filling up our emotional bank accounts. The exercise itself took two hours, complete with ten board members and four committee chairs. But it was exactly what some of us needed to keep going and working as a team. The second way we can pay each other for dedication is through recognition and gratitude. I've been told that I tend to go overboard on the thank yous and the recognition. However. I blame my Southern hospitality on that one. As president of an affiliate, I make sure that even the smallest details are highlighted. I did this when I was the convention committee chair for the Kentucky Council of the Blind as well. I never forgot to thank even the kids who helped roll the silverware for our meals, or that person who always had those much-needed phone numbers memorized. It's the recognition and the gratitude that keep people coming back and staying involved. The third way in which we can pay each other for our commitment to ACB and our affiliates is to continue to pass on our wisdom of the subject which we have the most knowledge in. Education, real-world experience, and knowledge we obtain as we grow as leaders can transform the way we educate others and ourselves, both the leaders that have come before us and those that will come after us. Imposing your wisdom is indeed one of the ways you can set someone up for success. I'll use my personal experience as an example. I am a kinesthetic learner, meaning I learn by doing. I tell people in Kentucky that I have learned more from Carla Rushival about planning an event than a college course in event planning will ever teach me. And it's simply because I had to do both the learning and the planning at the same time. I will also admit that I do not always understand the language of Constitution and bylaws, amendments, or resolutions, but I'm grateful for the people who do, like John McCann and Gabe Griffith. We were not created to know everything, and that is the best part about passing wisdom on to others. What makes things even better? is when someone is grateful that you took the opportunity to share your knowledge with them. The fourth way that we can pay each other for endurance is through encouragement. When we know we have leaders that are struggling with issues both organizationally related and personally related, words of encouragement can fuel their endurance. It is as simple as saying, I am here for you and I believe in you, or... I know things look bad now, but you can do this. The COVID-19 pandemic has created a rather dark and depressing situation for some of us. It has created a world where people struggle to find the light and warmth. If we lack the ability to encourage each other, then some of our fellow leaders and members may never see that light and warmth that is the good of the world. This is not why I joined ACB. I joined ACB because someone encouraged me, and I instantly felt the warm embraces and saw the bright future for what I wanted to achieve. Encouragement is the key to getting others involved and keeping them involved, and it is a game-changer for sure. The fifth way we can pay each other for our service and lending our talents is to simply listen. We need to listen, both to each other and to our own hearts. Listening helps us to learn more about what we do not already know and learn more about each other. We now live in a world where it's easy to respond rather quickly. What if we just stopped, took a deep breath as I tell my daughter, and practiced some empathy before we hit the reply button? What if we just listened with patience before we responded? It might create peace between people and it might create a positive environment where we can communicate more effectively. Listening is the key to all, above, and more. The sixth way we can pay each other for our time is to step back and step into faith. You know those younger members in your affiliate, the ones that are waiting to help? You have trained them well, you have watched them grow in their leadership skills, and you watch them fail and get back up again. Now it's time for you, as their guiding force, their teacher, their mentor, to step back and step into faith. They can do it. If they need help, they will ask. And, just like that, you have given them a huge boost of confidence to get the job done. The seventh way is to understand that everyone has a different perspective of their state or special interest affiliate, their local chapters, and ACB. Some people I know have been involved since they were children, whereas others are brand new. Some people see this as something they can do leisurely, whereas others see this as something serious. At the end of the day, no matter where our priorities lie, we all care about these organizations. We all care about the growth, the functionality, the mission, and the people in these organizations. Understanding each other's perspective may better help us to understand a person's decision-making process as well as their opinions on certain subjects. As I conclude, I will provide you my answers to the first questions I stated in the beginning. Is it really worth your time? My answer is and will always be yes. Why are you putting so much energy into something when you don't get paid for it? My answer is because as an affiliate president, I know that I'm making an impact on ACB and that my heart leans towards bringing up the next generation of ACB leaders. Go forth and pay it forward. You owe it to your members, your fellow leaders, and yourself to pay people for their time, talent, and treasure. Braille Matters by Denise Colley, Braille Revival League President On January 4, 2024, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, the Braille Revival League, BRL, will begin a seven-hour extravaganza intended to demonstrate what we know. Braille matters. There will be lots of presentations, lots of prizes, lots of opportunities for everyone to participate, and no reason for you not to be there. Braille is the means of communication that enables people who are blind to be competitive in the world of work, to be creative, to play games, to mark and label, and so much more. Our organization is concerned that there is not enough excitement about Braille, and we want to change that. We want to get everyone excited about what Braille can do and look ahead to what the Braille Revival League can do to make Braille more and more valued and relevant. Come and hear from representatives from the Braille Authority of North America, BANA, the Clovernook Printing House for the Blind, the National Braille Press, the National Library Service, NLS, Horizons for the Blind, the Dream Vision Group, and the Braillists Foundation from the United Kingdom. We will talk about the work we are going to do trying to get Braille labels on products. We will talk about the support we offer to the National Library Service as they launch Braille e-readers and Braille on Demand. We will talk with agencies across the country who teach Braille or produce it. We will explore approaches that are making Braille exciting to children in school. We will hear from our state affiliates about what is going on in states, where there are chapters of the Braille Revival League. Our hope is that this event, occurring on the birthday of Louis Braille, will become an annual occurrence. We will be able each year to use this day to celebrate what we have done over the preceding year to make Braille better known and more available. You will hear much more about our presentation as time goes on. For now, keep your ears open for more news about braille matters it will be on acb media and on zoom we need all of you to put january 4 on your calendars and plan to spend most of the day celebrating braille with us come and help us make this day a huge success texas puts the fun in fundraising by jan gray greetings from texas I am the second vice president of ACBT and the one responsible for fundraising. There has been a lot of interest from other states as to our activities this year. The fundraising committee and I wanted to do some different things that had not been done before. So what did we do? We decided that we wanted an escape room that was totally accessible for blind people. Thanks to Vispero, we were able to make it happen. At first, attendance was a little slow, but after a couple of sessions, the participants were talking about how much fun they had, business picked up, and we were able to make a profit. Generally, we hold a dance on Friday night for our fundraiser. However, attendance has been dropping, so we brainstormed a little and came up with a carnival in the dark. Now, the name is a little deceiving as the lights were left on, but anyone who had sight had to wear a blindfold to play the games. We had a couple of casino games, but no money changed hands, only tickets. We charged a flat rate. The carnival games consisted of bowling, beanbag toss, velcro darts, a duck pond, a plinko game, and a cupcake walk. The cupcake walk had to be done blindfolded and using a white cane. There were tiles on the floor in an oval, The numbers were on the tiles, and when the whistle blew, whatever tile they were beside was how they determined the winner. Several sighted guys came away saying they never realized how hard it was for their wives who were blind. We also had an area with a carnival backdrop for picture-taking. The tickets they earned were redeemed for prizes. We had the largest attendance that we have ever experienced for a Friday night entertainment in a long time. Everyone seemed to have a great time. The biggest complaint was that we had run out of back scratchers on the prize table. I must attribute much of the success to my committee members for all their ideas and willingness to go the extra mile. They were fantastic to work with. All of our projects worked well because we planned carefully, and it was new, different, and most of all fun, not only for the participants but for the committee as well. I would encourage everyone to reach out and try new things. Remember that success is in the planning and the willingness to put your heart into your projects. Affiliate News Donna Seliger receives Distinguished Service Award. Former ACB Secretary Donna Seliger received the Distinguished Service Award from the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America at their awards luncheon on July 2. Donna was honored for her many years of service to RSVA in many capacities, including secretary, volunteer on the convention committee, and the sagebrush conference committee, as well as the publications committee. Save the date, nominate, donate, and celebrate. Do you remember the first episode of SpongeBob SquarePants? the Pokemon craze, the TV show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the third Harry Potter book, the Britney Spears scandal. They all happened 24 years ago in 1999. It was also that year when the American Council of the Blind's Board of Directors voted to approve the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss as a new affiliate, and it happened on Valentine's Day, February 14, 1999. Save the date. We will be celebrating AAVL's momentous 25th anniversary with a fun-filled two-hour Zoom call celebration on Saturday, February 10, 2024, from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Folks will share their reflections and memories of the early years of AAVL and of its dynamic founder and first president, Teddy Joy Remheld. We will also talk about our exciting advocacy initiatives on behalf of older people with vision loss, our weekly support group, our newsletter, The Hourglass, our web resource lists, our monthly community calls, and much more. We'll also be giving away door prizes every 20 minutes. You definitely want to be there. Nominate. Our board recently approved the Teddy Joy Remheld Service Award, which will be presented for the first time at this event to a worthy AAVL member who has given exceptional service toward the betterment of the lives of older people who are blind or who are losing vision. Nominations for this award will be accepted through December 10, 2023. So if you know someone who deserves this recognition, Please find the submission details on www.aavl-blind-seniors.org. www.aavl-blind-seniors.org. Donate. We are also creating the AAVL Anniversary Fund, for members who need some financial help for things like attendance at the National Convention or assistive technology acquisition. If you'd like to honor us on our anniversary in a tangible way, donating to this fund will be greatly appreciated. Please mark your contributions specifically to the AAVL Anniversary Fund. A Donate button is available on www.aavl. -blind-seniors.org Celebrate. Mark your calendar so you can join in our celebration of our first 25 years on February 10, 2024, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern.
0: Passings. We honor here members, friends and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name, first, last, maiden if appropriate. City of residence upon passing. State or province of residence upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence. Places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation, date of death. Day if known, month, year. Age, ACB affiliation local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Barbara A. Appleby, Nay Berg, August 10, 1958 to September 19, 2023. Barbara A. Appleby, 65, of Maplewood, passed away unexpectedly on September 19, 2023, while vacationing in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe. Barb was born in New Ulm, Minnesota, to Leo and Claire Poyserberg. She graduated in 1977 from New Ulm Cathedral High School and then attended Brainerd Community College. In 1984, Barb married Bill Appleby, and they resided in Maplewood, Minnesota. She worked for Xcel Energy for 25 years and retired in 2017. Barb's hobbies included book club, crocheting, collecting art, playing in a dart league for the blind, and caring for her various guide dogs over the years. Most of all, she loved animals and traveling. Barb was a board member for ACB of Minnesota, a very generous donor to our affiliate, a great advocate for herself and others, and most importantly, a friend to everyone she met. In addition to contracting type 1 diabetes as a child, which led to Barb losing her sight, she had several other major health issues over her lifetime. But through it all, she never complained and fought each battle head-on and with courage. Many people who knew Barb admired her drive and determination to overcome all her life's challenges. She is survived by her husband, Bill Appleby, father, Leo Berg of New Ulm, Minnesota, sisters, Patty Ken Osborne of Sartell, Minnesota, and Liz Keith Cooper of New Ulm, Minnesota, niece, Samantha Steve, nephews Parker Osborne, Alex Cooper, and Austin Cooper, and best friend and traveling partner Wendy O'Neill. She is preceded in death by her mother, Claire Berg. In lieu of flowers, please make a contribution in Barb's name to Guide Dogs for the Blind, P.O. Box 151-200, San Rafael, California, 94915, or to the Minnesota Humane Society. 475 North Cleveland Avenue, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55104. Ray Fouché, Louisville, Kentucky, WDRB. Louisville has lost a local television personality best remembered for his years on WDRB, his distinctive voice and his vast knowledge of TV history. Ray Fouché died on Thursday from complications of cancer. He was 72. He joined our station in 1980 after making a name for himself at the Courier-Journal, writing for the Saturday Scene section. Ray was an amazing TV historian who could remember the smallest detail or name actors that played obscure roles. His weekend column in the 1970s called The TV Set allowed him to answer just about any viewer question about one of his favorite topics. Once Ray arrived at WDRB, he embraced his job as a promotions manager. He became the station's first and most widely seen on-air personality. He hosted telethons, did in-studio movie intros, and hosted a wildly popular show called TV As It Used To Be. It was a special show that allowed Ray to reach back into the vaults and revisit popular shows from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It was his dream come true. Ray also introduced each night's slate of programming and even giving background on shows. It amazed the audience with his wealth of knowledge. It was Ray's voice many would recognize. He did a lot of voice work for commercials on WDRB and even station announcements. In 2001, Ray was appointed Director of Marketing, Research, and Publicity. In that position, he helped promote the station, and he helped former general manager Bill Lamb write point-of-view editorials. He retired from that position in 2018 after 38 years at WDRB. Ray was here when WDRB was Fox 41, Louisville's first independent television station that featured Shirley Temple movies, outdoor shows, westerns, sitcom reruns, a local children's show featuring Presto the Magic Clown, and the popular Fright Night, hosted by the fearmonger Charlie Kissinger. After we learned of his passing, Ray's beloved daughter shared childhood memories of hanging with her dad at the station after school. Everyone was so great to me when I would come in, so that place holds a special place in my heart, too. I was just telling my mom that as new people would come into the station, they weren't new to him very long. He was just that type of person, said Maggie Fouché Kaufman. Ray joked on his social media pages that he was a TV star, and he was at least in Louisville. He was so gracious and kind to viewers that would recognize him in public. He answered endless questions about TV from viewers that thought they could stump him. During the era that WDRB aired University of Louisville Sports, Ray became friends with Howard Schnellenberger. Always an entertainer, he could even do a great impression of the coach. I don't know if he ever did his Howard Schnellenberger impression for you, but it was absolutely spot on. He spent a lot of time with Howard during his old Adcraft days. He had him down to a tea. Everyone would smile and laugh when he would do it, Maggie remembered. Looking back on her relationship with her dad, Maggie said she learned a lot from the way he interacted with people. It was more just the lesson that he taught throughout his and my life on how to be a genuinely good human. He was very impactful for me in that area, among other areas, of course. Even after Ray retired and cleaned out the office filled with nearly four decades of memorabilia and promotional items, he still kept in touch with emails, offering suggestions or gentle reminders about what he thought the station should be doing. He never stopped caring about WDRB. Over the years, Ray also put his distinctive voice to work at the American Printing House for the Blind as a talking book narrator. Ray was a Louisville native who went to St. Xavier High School, Bellarmine University, and the University of Kentucky. He is survived by Jane, his wife of 44 years, his daughter Maggie Fouché-Kaufman, her husband Chris, and his two grandchildren. No funeral is planned, but a celebration of life will be planned for a later date. Robert R. Rob Hill August 10, 1944, to October 16, 2023. Robert Ralph Hill was an incredibly kind, compassionate, and wonderful person. His love of singing, music, and traveling were unparalleled. He enjoyed connecting with people and spending time with his family and friends. He had a lifelong calling to help others and said, It is very humbling to ask others for help. However, it also gives others a chance to be helpful— and a way to connect with them. He also had a profound love of learning. Rob was born August 10, 1944, in Tulsa to Ralph Wesley Hill and Jenny Elizabeth Pinkston Hill. He graduated from Rogers High School and attended Brigham Young University and University of Tulsa for a few college courses, before graduating from Northeastern State University, where he received his bachelor's degree in psychology. He would continue to go to Tulsa Community College in audit classes, for no grade or credit, throughout his life because he loved learning. Rob drove a 1956 Chevy before completely losing his sight. He then taught himself how to read and write in Braille. Rob never allowed his disability to inhibit his life, relationships with others, or accomplishing what he wanted to do in life. His travels are proof of that. His travels took him all around the world to places like Austria, France, England, and the Netherlands, just to name a few. In 1981, he received the Service to Mankind Award for Significant and Meritorious Service to Mankind by the Tulsa Police. He retired from Tulsa's helpline as a mental health crisis specialist, and he was also a ham radio licensee. Rob was an active member in his church, First Lutheran, and an active member in the church choir. He was a regular performer of The Messiah and brought joy to many people with his vocal abilities. Rob transitioned from this life on October 16, 2023. He was preceded in death by his parents and his sister, Valerie Patricia Hill. Surviving are his brother, Larry Hill, Jackie Hill, niece Tanya Thompson, nephew Tommy Thompson, niece Jenny Price, Chris, great-nephews Easton and Wesley Price, along with a great many beloved cousins. In lieu of flowers, donations can be made to blindlgbtpride.org slash donate b-l-i-n-d-l-g-b-t-p-r-i-d-e dot org slash d-o-n-a-t-e Here and There, edited by Cynthia G. Hawkins The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The ACBE Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to slovering at acb.org or phone the National Office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Lighthouse Guild Announces 2023 Award Recipients The Bresler Prize in Vision Science, established in 2001, is awarded to a person whose research has resulted in the translation of medical or scientific knowledge into significant advancements in the treatment or rehabilitation of people with vision loss. This year's winner is Wiley A. Chambers, M.D., for supervising new vision therapeutics at the FDA. The Pizard Award in Technological Innovation was established in 1981 to recognize an individual, group of individuals, or organization that has made significant contributions to the field of vision science. The winner is Saqib Shaikh of Microsoft for developing Seeing AI, a free mobile app for people with visual impairments. The Dr. Alan R. Morse Lecture in Advocacy was established to honor those who have demonstrated leadership, raised awareness of low vision, addressed barriers, and are working to make a world where no person is limited by their sensory capacity. Representative Carolyn B. Maloney is this year's winner for legislation supporting people with vision challenges. The WHO Eyes app. The World Health Organization, WHO, has introduced a free app that allows individuals to assess their vision for both close-up and distance viewing. This new app is called WHO Eyes, W-H-O-E-Y-E-S, and is available in the App Store and Google Play. New at National Braille Press. Looking for a magnet to cheer someone up? NBP's newest Braille in print magnet reads, You make me happy when skies are gray. Jimmy Davis. If you're looking toward the new year, the annual Peanuts calendar is available for 2024. It usually flies right off the shelf, so don't delay. New in Children's Books is George and Martha, Tons of Fun by James Marshall. It features five short stories featuring two hippos, George and Martha, who are best friends. This book is available in UEB for ages 4 to 7. Another new children's book is Pluto, Not a Planet, Not a Problem, by Stacy McNulty and Stevie Lewis. It's available in contracted UEB for ages 4 to 8. A new board book, Home Run, My First Baseball Game, by Tanner Ryan, is also available in contracted UEB for ages 3 and up. In the game of Cows vs. Bears, who will win? Check this book out. For more information, call toll free 800-548-7323 or 617-266-6160, extension 520, or order online at shop.nbp.org. high tech Swap Shop. For sale, Orbit Reader 20 plus braille display with calendar, calculator, and translator. Comes with non-form-fitting case with two zippers, battery charger, and print quick start guide, as well as user tutorial on thumb drive. SD card not included. Asking $250 or best offer. Will accept payment via check or Apple Pay. Contact Melody Holloway via phone 614-668-4853, or by email, m-e-l-i-s-s-t-a-b-l-e at gmail.com. Image of a snowman with a carrot nose wearing a black top hat, red scarf, green and red buttons. Caption. Wishing you a safe, happy, and healthy holiday season. ACB Officers. President, Deb Cook-Lewis, 1st Term, 2025. 1131 Liberty Drive, Clarkston, Washington, 99403. 1st Vice President, David Trott, 1st Term, 2025. 1018 East Street South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160. 2nd Vice President, Ray Campbell, 1st Term, 2025. 216 Prestwick Road, Springfield, Illinois, 62702-3330. Secretary Denise Colley, Final term, 2025. 26131 Travis Brook Drive, Richmond, Texas, 77406-3990. Treasurer Michael Garrett. First term, 2025. 7806 Chaseway Drive, Missouri City, Texas, 77489-2333. Immediate Past President Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. ACB Board of Directors. Christopher Bell, Pittsboro, North Carolina, 1st Term, 2024. Donna Brown, Romney, West Virginia, first term, 2024. Gabriel lopez Cafati, Miami Lakes, Florida, first term, 2026. Cecily Laney-Nipper, Covington, Georgia, partial term, 2024. Terry Pacheco, Silver Spring, Maryland, first term, 2026. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, second term, 2024. Rachel Schroeder, Springfield, Illinois, 1st term, 2026. Kenneth Semyon Sr., Beaumont, Texas, 1st term, 2024. Connie Sims, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, 1st term, 2026. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, 2nd term, 2026. ACB Board of Publications. Penny Reeder, Chair, Montgomery Village, Maryland, third term, 2025. Jeff Bishop, Tucson, Arizona, partial term, 2024. Cheryl Cummings, Seattle, Washington, second term, 2025. Zelda Gephardt, Edgley, North Dakota, second term, 2024. Kachay Wells, Jacksonville, Florida, first term, 2024. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACBE forum may be accessed by email on the ACB website, via download from the webpage, in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 518-906-1820. To subscribe to the email version, contact Sharon Lovering, slovering, at acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail, in Braille, large print, LS style digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 518-906-1820. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader stream or from https colon slash slash pinecast.com slash feed slash acb dash braille dash forum dash and dash e dash forum.